You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, I have Doug Landis from Emergence Capital, or MCAP for short. And Doug is a partner at MCAP. It's one of the leading VCs in the world. Uh, Doug has personally worked with companies like Oracle, Google, Salesforce, and Box over the last 16 years, uh, invested in some of the biggest and brightest SaaS companies on the planet. During this time, his team has gathered remarkable insights into the critical steps necessary to build multi-billion dollar businesses. So he is here and he's with MCAP to help capture and elevate and share his wisdom with the portfolio companies and the greater SaaS community at large. And as a growth partner, his charter is to create a platform which creates and to create and to share go-to-market insights and strategies that help those portfolio companies to scale and to grow and ultimately to become the next billion dollar unicorn SaaS companies. <laughs> okay. That's the goal. I got through your intro, Doug. That was, <laughs> that was the hardest part for me. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's, it's great to have you here. Oh man, it's great to be here. I know intros are always funny because they sound canned and like, you know, scripted. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's just like, hey, Paris, Doug, Doug, Paris, what's up? What's your background? How'd you get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Doug, I, uh, thanks for being here. I remember the last chat that we had a few weeks back as we were prepping for this. And the one thing that really stuck with me is how you're really trying to, to reinvent all of the, the uh, classic acronyms in sales and marketing, MQL, SQL, oh. SAL, and SDRs. So Doug, my first question is, why are you trying to kill my MQL? I love my MQL. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, you're, just like, you're blowing up my my frameworks here. Do you, do you, do you remember that old uh, commercial? I want my MTV or something like that. It's like I I kind of yeah. hear that coming from you, Paris. Like I want my MQL. Um, you know, listen, I, I think it's time for us to kind of hit reset when it comes to a lot of these acronyms, especially top of the funnel acronyms. Because at the end of the day, the way I look at this, and, and, and by the way, this is coming from years and years of experience, years and years of sitting in meetings with sales and marketing leaders as we're all sitting there trying to hash out what the heck is an MQL? And let's get clarity. Actually, more importantly, let's get clarity on what a lead is. And I wish everyone could see me because I'm going to do a lot of air quotes here because that's what creates so much tension between sales and marketing. Marketing says, I mean, think of the movie Glengarry Glenn Ross, right? I want the Glengarry leads because it's all about I want the better leads. Um, and so, you know, I think to, to really ruffle your feathers, Paris, and anybody else that happens to be in the world of marketing, I'm just going to say it. Marketing doesn't create leads. So why do we have MQLs? Now, I know some marketers will be like, what the F, who are you? Get out of my space. And I, well, first of all, let me just say, I am a sales professional wrapped in a marketer's body. So I love the domain of marketing because look, marketing, sales, and customer success are all an equal, equally important part of the revenue machine. Here's, here's the reality. Marketing creates contacts. Without contacts, the sales team doesn't know who to, who to reach out to. Sales team doesn't know, you know, who are the right targets that I should be engaging with that we think have the 
the highest probability of actually wanting to engage in a conversation with us. The reality is, is a lead only becomes a lead once someone has a conversation with somebody. One of the biggest challenges and, and conversion rates, by the way, on the, at top of the funnel actually are, are indicative of this. But one of the biggest challenges we have on the sales side is there are so many tire kickers. I'm just, I just want to mm -hmm. learn more. I'm just looking for information. Well, guess what? A lot of marketers consider that a lead. As a salesperson, that's not a lead. Right. So it's like, let's just get clear as to what an actual lead is. And instead of putting it all on paper and then trying to use some technology to say, like, hey, here are all these leads. We're going to funnel them down to the sales organization and let the SDRs filter them out, which arguably is not necessarily the right vehicle either. I think if we just get really clear about identifying everybody that we think is a contact and start to segment out those contacts as high value contacts, low value contacts, tire, tire kickers, et cetera, then we can actually take better action. Right. Mm -hmm. Imagine if we, so then, if we all knew these people were tire kickers, like, cool, we're just going to pass some information to you. We're going to send you onto a different path. So then Doug, how do, how do you, how do good teams then identify those tire kickers? If you, uh, if you have a certain amount of data, I presume you've got some form filled data. How do you figure out who, who are the tire kickers so that you can weed out? It's, it's super hard. It's super hard. Because by the way, sometimes I may be looking, if I'm a buyer, I may be looking at a solution, which I think is really interesting. And I'm thinking about maybe next year. And so in my brain, yeah, I'm gathering information. Maybe I don't even consider myself a tire kicker because I know at some point in time, I'm going to buy a solution like this most likely. Not really sure when, but I'm just kind of gathering some thoughts, especially as we're now into the back half or we're now, yeah, we're now into the back half of the year. So maybe I'm thinking about 2022. So that, that's hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's easy. And we're always going to have a, a slew of tire kickers coming in, uh, in through the front door. The point I'm really trying to make is getting really clear about what an actual lead is often. And this also leads into like qualification, right? Because what typically happens when marketing says, here's a lead, then an SDR goes right into, okay, let's go through my qualification checklist. Boom, 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 boom. Answer these four questions. If you can answer them, I pass them off to the AE, right? Do you know, I, I would, I would love to know the percentage of AE's first conversations and how many of those end up in dead, no decision, just qualify out. Close lost, right? Now, who gets punished? Well, does the SDR because the AE took, no, because the SDR likely gets paid because the AE took the meeting, right? So it was a meeting booked, but that didn't turn out, it didn't turn into anything. So my contention here is the acronyms, one, create a lot of confusion because you got MQL, SAO, yeah, MQL, mm -hmm. SQL, SAO, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's really confusing. It, it's, it's getting it's getting oh. worse too. I think there's SAL, SAO, SA, yeah, uh, sales accepted lead, PQL, right. product qualified lead, right? Um, yeah. you know, there's PLS, uh, product led. Is this sales. just a way to create more more KPIs for people, or um, how did it get this bad? I mean, well, why, here's, why a, here's, a, here's the thing: changing these definitions. I think, and, and look, it, it's not going to stop. It's not going to change. And, and, and that's okay. Um, because people need a way to kind of define what it is that what they're both what they're doing, and kind of where they are in the process where are where a prospect mm -hmm. is in the process. So I, I get that my whole thing might just my whole thing is let's just make it easier. You got contacts, mm -hmm. high value, low value. Once someone, i.e. an SDR or someone has a conversation with a contact that we think is a high value, and then they're interested, 
right? So there's a clear understanding of their current state and why they might want to change away from that current state, then that then becomes a lead, period. It's just a simple lead. It's not a marketing qualified lead. It's, it's just a lead. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And then that lead is then passed on to the AE. And only the AE can convert that to an opportunity because the AE ha- actually has to validate the conversation <laughs> that the SDR, whoever that first person was that had that conversation mm-hmm. and say, okay, current state, understand that. Why do you want to change? You've got some clarity on that. Now let's talk more about why do you want to change now? Mm-hmm. It's just so there's an opportunity. Does a creation of an opportunity by an AE then imply that there's a, there's an immediate need and there's a, there's a real probability of closing that, that quarter. For example, that's a good question. Um, I think there's kind of, I think there's two buckets of opportunities. They're the ones that we think have a real opportunity to close now, right? So like they're in market, they understand, they, they understand the pain, loss, and suffering that they're actually experiencing from their current state. And they're like, hmm, yes, changing now actually makes sense. So they they've 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 gotten comfortable with, and they know how to build consensus in their organization because no one buys, no one makes a unilateral decision today. Even if you're the CEO of a small business, guess what? You're still going to go to your wife, who's likely behind you, that's going to say, "What are you doing?" <laughs> right. So there's just, of course, you've got, yeah. everyone has to build consensus somewhere in, in some form of the organization. So, but at the end of the day, if you sense that there's, there's, there's a more of an immediacy or you're able to create some urgency as the AE in the conversation, then that to me goes in the yes, can close in the next three to six months bucket. And then there's also the people, mm-hmm. let's just use the example of me. I'm out doing my research. I know next year we want to address this because we've been talking about it. So I'm trying to get a sense of where it's going to fit. How am I going to, prioritize it? Does it make sense for January, March? How, what's the implementation like, et cetera. And so you put me in the not now bucket, but like within the next 12 months bucket, right? So that's, that now becomes kind of a nurture bucket, an AE nurture bucket. Now, of course, I truly believe marketing should help there because anything that's identified as an AE nurture, meaning they're not going to, there's no, there's no real urgency right now. We still need to be sharing some content with them. We still need to keep them engaged and let them know about webinars so they can continue to learn about yeah, the just value stay of top our of mind. Yeah, yeah, totally. 100%. 100%. But Doug, in, in the world we live in now, the marketer has no incentive to nurture an AE's lead because they've yeah. already delivered their KPI, haven't they? They've delivered their MQL. <laughs> Yes, Paris, you are getting to the heart of my challenge with marketing. Did I just serve that one up for you? Oh, you totally (laughs) did. I mean, that is like, I feel like, you know, this is the Giants versus the Dodgers last night when the the, uh, Dodgers hammered them. I'm formerly from San Francisco and now live in LA. So all my San Francisco friends are going to shit all over me. Excuse my French. But anyway. That's okay. That's allowed on this podcast. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Anyway, the point is, yes. You just put the explicit tag on this one, but that's okay. (laughs) I think, look. Anytime something is going awry on the go-to-market side of an organization, what I mean by awry is what our numbers are down, win rates are down, whatever, conversion rates are down, implementation is taking Anytime there's something awry, the first thing you should do is look at the incentive structure because we just, just be honest, incentives drive behavior. To your point, marketing's like, cool, I passed on a whole bunch of leads, which again, in my yep. world is a contact. Um, in fact, I'll change the acronym instead of MQL. Let's just call it an MQC just to really fuck with people's heads. But at the end of the day, it's a contact, right? So cool. Marketing, right. your job pipeline. is not. I've built pipeline. I'm done. Job, <laughs> totally right. Your job is not done. And here's where I think people, especially in, on, in sales and marketing, get this wrong. Everyone talks about sales and marketing alignment. Ooh, ooh. Well, alignment basically just says, hey, Paris, you want to know what I'm doing? Here's what I'm doing. You're like, okay, cool. Thanks for the information. 
way to go. And now we go back to our little silos and we start working. I believe in sales and marketing integration. I believe you as a marketer and me as a sales leader have to be on the exact same page, which is what? End revenue, close business, happy customers, period. That's what you and I both care about. That's what we should care about. That's what we both should get comped on. Creating a list of high value contacts is one piece of that. But guess what? You should also, as a marketer, care about the conversion of those high value contacts. And so that also means you care about what our SDRs are doing and saying and how they're how those initial conversations are going. And so that should also be a part of your comp, just as much as how those convert to opportunities. So now we care about what the AEs are saying or doing, just as much as we care about how they're closing. And, oh, by the way, what's causing us to close lots of deals? What's cla- causing us to, to for deals to push? How about this? Mm-hmm. Do marketers know that 60% of all well-qualified leads, all sorry, all well-qualified opportunities, 60% of them, and in dead no decision. Status probably quo. not. Probably they don't. I didn't. So know guess that, what? From from 60%. a marketing perspective, help us, help us. Now you know one of the things that I tell you, I I coach a lot of our reps on is like have that honest conversation up front. So Paris, you you express some interest in our solution or our platform. I'm like cool, you know, here's the deal: the likelihood of you and I going through this song and dance and uncovering this pain, and I talk about value and we talk about the difference between us and everybody else. And we get to the end of the road, the likelihood of this, of you and I ending in a stallmate and you not doing anything is greater than 50%. So my job is to help you eliminate that because guess what? At the end of the day, it's largely a waste of everyone's time. Absolutely. So could marketing help with some of that messaging? If they were getting bonus on, on acquisition revenue, then maybe. So this is my question now for you, Doug. How many of the companies that you're currently working with and coaching are uh, comping marketing people on, uh, at least partially on revenue, acquisition revenue? Um, a fair number of them. Oh, that's a fair good. Number of them. Okay. It is a, um, well, it, it all depends on, uh, it depends on a few things. And this is why I say a fair number one, number of them. If they are, if we've got a, a, a Series A company that's first-time founders and they haven't hired a head of marketing yet, then I have the opportunity to influence their thinking about it. Because trust me, they haven't had a hired, they haven't hired a head of marketing, so they're thinking about like, well, what do we pay this person? How do we build their comp plan? And that's when I can mm-hmm. have a lot of influence. <clears throat> and and while you know, and even the marketers that then I will get involved in interviewing, it's like I will also share with them like, listen, your job here is going to be different. Your job is not just going to be brand building and running and building campaigns. Your job is going to be helping to drive rev close business, mm-hmm. right? So, so you and the sales leader have got to be lockstep with each other. You guys have to have each other's backs. You guys have to be in on this together. And so um, oftentimes, you know, it's a matter of like helping just the sales team understand who we're hiring and marketing and what they're doing and why that's valuable to all of us to help us close more business. Because that is often do you ask, misunderstood. Do you ask the marketing people to, to listen to the sales call recordings? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Marketers need and to understand ask, what's happening down, downstream. And do you ask salespeople to review marketing's content? So like that's studies a little, and things like that? Well, they have to because that's mm-hmm. important. So a salesperson needs to understand what marketing is creating and why and why it's valuable, why it's important. Because number one, if your prospect is out there reading this, they're likely going to come to you with some questions based on things that you've read. So if you're not doing your homework, 
if, if both mm-hmm. sides are not doing their homework and they, un- they don't understand each other's domain, then it's a big miss. Yeah. It's a huge yeah, miss. Absolutely. One of the things that, that we as an agency often we're banging our heads into the wall is because as we're trying to build a content strategy, the best source of a, of a persona's pain point is to talk to the salespeople and even also to talk to the customer support people because oh, they're, yeah. they're, they've got the voice of the customer. They know those pain points better than anyone and, and that would reveal better than any kind of research. And oftentimes we get frustrated because our clients are not giving us access to the sales teams in that process. And I think, well, don't they get it? These are the people who have their finger on the pulse of the pain <laughs> yeah. points. You yeah. have to talk to them, or at least we have to listen to the call recordings. And yeah. we, we never get access. And it's but, but you just, you just said something that's actually, I'm going to, I challenge all you marketers to take it a step further. Don't just talk to salespeople. This, the pot of gold in any go-to-market organization are customer success managers. Because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm a salesperson, you're a marketer, you hand me this high-value contact, our SDR qualifies them, hands it to me, I convert that lead to an opportunity, I go through the process, I uncover all this pain, and I, and I close you, Paris. I'm like, cool, we just developed a great partnership. Guess what I do? I hand you off to customer success, off, and then I go right back to the conveyor belt and try and do this again. Do you know what often happens in customer success right after that handoff? Customer success manager has to resell the whole thing because you're you're like, wait, mm-hmm. what did I just buy? What what just happened? Yeah. That was all so that was so smooth and um and it was so easy and because you know this me I'm the seller I did such a great job and all of a sudden it's like wait hold on a second I have to resell this now inside my organization because we're going through a you know maybe we're going through a budgeting exercise and they're like wait what's this mm-hmm. line item here what did we what are we buying and you're like oh now I've got to, I've got to repitch this internally so customer yeah. success has to resell it. And then they have to focus on the implementation and the integration and adoption, the usage of it. So they're going to understand the way I think about the analogy is, uh, or my metaphor is sales actually takes the football in order, you know, typical douchey move here. Let's use a football analogy for sales. They take the ball from, you know, from the end zone, from their end zone all the way to the 20 yard line. It's customer success that actually takes the ball from the 20 and puts it in the end zone. Because if you don't have a wildly successful, happy customer that's using your product all day, every day, then guess what? The likelihood of them churning is very, very high. And therefore, we fumbled and we yeah. lost the game. Yeah. So customer yeah. success knows all the little nitty gritty details. They understand how your life, Paris, is changed and different and better as a result of using this product, as a result of using mm-hmm. our solution. And that's yeah. the information that needs to get fed back to marketers. It also needs to get fed back to product. It also needs to get fed back to sales. From, from truly yeah. understanding the value of your solution in their words, in your words. Yeah. And another big challenge in that red zone area is the buyer's remorse too. Because once you sign as the buyer, inevitably you think, damn, Amen. did I make the right decision? Yeah. <laughs> so on, on top of that, the CSM has to uh, overcome buyer's remorse, yep. bring, that new cu- bring that new customer down to earth really figure out what might have been oversold and say, hey, yep. look, now that now that we're really working together, here's the way things are going to work. Uh, that's a huge challenge. So then you're taking it a step further because maybe then even marketing and sales teams, uh, yeah, they, they need to be in a way that that incentive structure needs to carry forward even maybe to that whole first year 100%. of that relationship. Yep. Because, um, yep. Well, and that's, in fact, that's actually what we're starting to see more now is the comp, comp plans and comp structure is actually including renewal do they renew usage adoption engagement churn if i can have if if in my book of business that i close if i can maintain 
a certain, you know, net dollar retention, then guess what? I get another kicker in my comp plan. By the way, mm-hmm. so should marketing. Because if we're doing the right job oh, from, from, a, from a marketing perspective, we're identifying the right contacts because we know our ICP and we know our buyer personas inside and out, then guess what? They should yeah. be the ones that become happy, happy, happy returning customers. But even at a, at a geekier level, if marketing, if digital marketers are doing their job well, they're actually weeding out audiences with high churn probabilities. And they yeah. should, that, therefore, they should be comp on those audiences that do have stickiness, that do, totally. that do actually stick. And that, 100% that agree. might mean that they get that they that might that might be a postponed or deferred bonus a year out, but yep. so be it because um, they should be they should be building those sticky audiences and then and eliminating the high churn audiences uh, using data, and that's that's doable that's doable now so they should be good at that. And, and by the way, this now this is why the role of the CRO actually exists is to truly understand the orchestration of that plan mm-hmm. marketing and sales and customer success integration and what does that look like from a data perspective from a customer journey perspective from from a a workflow a working flow perspective i.e between each functions and also from a comp perspective yeah so the companies that you are that you all are investing in and you start working with how many of them are at that stage of maturity or how often do you have a, an opportunity to really shape shape this in your vision? I, I, I wish I had more. Um, and here's, here's what I mean by that. My job is a world of influence. Paris, I could sit here and map this whole thing out to you beautifully. Everybody listening to this podcast is like, oh, this is amazing. Now let's go do this in real life. Oh, man, it's so hard. We're overcoming years and years of history of like, no, no, this is what I do. This is what I get paid for. This is what I should get paid for, and this is uh, this is my swim lane, and and we have to break down some of these walls. I think it really does start if we want to make change across the organization. We have to get better from a comp perspective and understand how to how to think of new levers on a, in the comp in the world of compensation, um, accelerators, spiffs, bonuses, whatever it may be. But we have to rethink what compensation looks like across the entire go to market stack of employees. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. To be honest, the early stage, I share my thoughts and my ideas and I try and influence and I certainly do influence more behavior to be for marketing to be more focused on revenue, for CS to be more integrated into sales and the marketing. All of that's happening, but there's still, I mean, I'm years away from having this conveyor belt be a systematic way in which we're going to market now also through mm-hmm. now you throw in like product-led growth as a go-to-market motion in the mix and that's like that's throwing everything else you know kind of in disarray the good news is i think that's going to create more opportunity for us to rethink this whole marketing sales customer success integration how we're comping everybody because now that you know the problem the reality is someone's getting in the product first right away so that changes the role of the sdr that changes the you know the conversion rates for marketing it kind of changes a lot of things um, so I think we have a great opportunity to do that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, at the end of the day, ultimately make a decision for you, Paris. So let's say you're one of our portfolio companies. We walk through this, we whiteboard it. We're like, here's how, how it's going to do. Here's how it's going to work on marketing. Here's how we're going to comp people. Here's how we're going to operationalize this. And then guess what? I step back and let you do you. And you get to do it. You get to do it however you want. I can't force you to do anything. My job is trying to influence you to, to help to help you understand like, look, there are ways to do this better. 
and I'm here to help and guide you along the way, but I'm not actually in there doing the work myself. I mean, I can, I certainly can. If you need that kind of help, then let's do it. Let's, like, yeah. let's open up Salesforce and let's change some fields and, you know, let's change, change hey, the comp plan and get that passed. But, but that, that's a yeah, ton yeah. of work. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I think that you can't have this discussion without really getting into the compensation. I mean, you really, 100%. as you said earlier, compensation is incentive and incentive drives action. And if you don't include some kind of rejiggering of comps, um, then you're just, this is really going to be all talk. I think yeah, people's, behavior, people's behavior will not change. Yep. Unless their compensation reflects reflects it, because that's incentive. To- totally agree. Let's stick with the product led growth. In a world of PLG here, does this become easier to do? This type of conveyor belt integration between marketing, sales, customer success, does it become harder to do, or what what changes? I mean, how does that it, how does that happen in the in the product led growth? It uh, it adds a it adds motion? a layer of complexity um, because. So it's it's easier because guess what? You're introducing a full-on wrench into the system. It's like, whoa, what is this? What is this new new mechanism uh, that's being added in, in here? And so because it's adding a layer of complexity, it's adding this, it's kind of breaking up the norm. I think that's a perfect opportunity to hit pause and relook yeah. at everything. That's your opportunity to go, okay, time out. We're going to start looking at comp first with this new vehicle, right, of, of getting engagement of prospects into customers. And then we're going to start to break down the whole machine. Here's the way I think about product-led growth, though, largely. So there's one, there is not a 100% product-led growth B2B enterprise software company. doesn't exist. Slack did it for a number of years, and then they hired a huge sales team. Bob Freddy's a good friend of mine, and he came mm-hmm. in. He's like, I got to figure out how to like create a sales machine out of, uh, out of this product-led growth machine. Dropbox did it, Zoom did it, Atlassian did it, like everyone has done it. And so the reality is, is all in the B2B enterprise SaaS world, you're going to have a hybrid model, meaning you're going to have some product-led growth uh, engines, right? Hopefully that's a huge engine of yours, which I think fundamentally is the most important go-to-market motion over the next five to 10 years. And then you're also going to have a sales and marketing-led growth engine. So they're going to coexist. The way I look at product-led growth is honestly, it's another vehicle for top of the funnel engagement. It replaces the SDR. It gets somebody in, not necessarily, it changes the role of the SDR. So basically somebody comes in, they get engaged with your product. What you need to do is you need to look for the signals to identify whether right now is the right time to reach out to you, Paris, because you're in the product right now. You're doing certain things that say, you're interested, you're engaged. I want to, I want to have a conversation with you. So an SDR, instead of cold calling, they're an SDR. I also like to call them product specialists because they really need to know and understand the product deeply. They're going to reach out to you and be like, hey, Paris, I see. Let's just use the Tesla as an example. Okay, congratulations on buying your Tesla. I see you've only used about 20% of what it's it's capable of. I'd love to come out and, and sit in the car with you and show you some more things that could save you more efficiency in terms of how you drive, help you, help mm-hmm. you actually get more entertainment because I noticed that you have kids. Right? And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is cool. I love Tesla. This experience is amazing. And then, and then the next thing we have to look for, what are the additional signals that say, okay, now it's time to get an AE involved in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? And then once, once an AE is involved in the conversation, instead of the kind of upfront motions, instead of doing like deep, deep discovery, like we would normally think of as a stage, the conversation is different. 
because you're in the product. I don't have a demo yeah. stage necessarily anymore. I've got a, hey, let's talk about the value of this. Let's talk about who else the organization cares. Let's talk about how we, how this, the value of this solution actually gets bigger and better the more people that use it. Yeah. So if product-led growth is that good at, at predicting who the future high-value customers are, is, it, is the SDR even necessary or can, can that go straight to an AE? Because the signals are saying, hey, this person is spending five hours a day in the product for 14 days in a row. Right. We don't need an SDR to talk about XYZ. Just let, let's get them on a paid plan ASAP. So, so I think that's where the splinter is in product-led growth because you're going to have people there that are still kind of, they're, they're, you know, they're still kicking the tires, if you will, just in the product. And you mm -hmm. need an SDR or a product specialist to get on the phone just with them and guide it. them and help mm -hmm. them just to understand like how to get more value of the product. Is this something you're actually serious about or is this, are you just kicking the tires? And then again, going back to if we're using an account-based marketing approach, well, guess what? You've got your high value companies that you think are a perfect fit for us. All of a sudden there's a, a few people in that company that's using the product. Heck yeah, send them right to the AE because the yeah. AE wants to manage that relationship. I don't need a product specialist involved in that initial conversation. I want it. It's kind of like when you tier your accounts, if you do that, which you should, everybody on this podcast, tier your accounts, tier one, two, and three. If it's a tier one account, AE owns it full stop. No one touches that account without the AE's permission, period. Now, granted, that's only going to be maybe like 10, 20 accounts. Tier two, now, you know, product specialists, SDRs, marketing, everybody can, more people can get involved based on our collective strategy. And then tier three, everyone could go hog wild on, test it, whatever mm -hmm. you want to test, do some hypotheses, cold call, who cares? Oh, I love it. Great. Yeah. And one of the one of the challenges that we, we work with some enterprise B2B SaaS that tell us we advocate for product led growth and they say, look, this product is just different. There's no way we can build a dummy this thing down. We can't do uh, a dummy a sandbox. And we push back a lot and say, no, well, you can because I don't know. We try to challenge them to think about this. But do you encounter that? And and how do you how do you convince these companies to to dumb it down, so to speak, for, for product led yeah. growth? It's it's hard. And that's why I think a lot of these old school, you know, old technology, stoic, big companies are actually ripe for disruption. In fact, I just read an article yesterday how, to be honest, Salesforce is absolutely ripe for disruption right now from a lot of these low code, no code companies that can actually build products that drive more engagement and Salesforce just becomes a database, a backend data layer. Just think about that. So because mm -hmm. of low-code, no-code no applications that you can build, you can get people into a product. By the way, people would say, our product's way too complex. Well, guess what? Pull your head out of your behind and start looking at some low-code, no-code ways to get people access to your product. It doesn't have to be the full product, but get them access to the product so they understand how it fits in their workflow, how it actually touches. We're way more tactile. We want that experience first right out of the gate. Yeah, so yeah. it's your loss Absolutely. if you're not figuring out how to do it. It totally is your loss. Now, I also yeah. get, it also introduces a new go-to-market motion. It introduces a shift in some roles. It introduces some different comp strategy. It's a lot to introduce. So often it's like, it's an easy objection inside the organization to say, our product's too complex. Okay, well, guess what? Find a way to make it less complex. Find a way to get them some free value right out of the gate because that's going to drive more engagement in your product than you could ever imagine. And if you don't, yeah. someone's going to build a better mousetrap than what your complex, heavyweight, yeah. stupid product yeah. is 
and and they're going to get people are going to get access to it for free and then you're struggling yeah. and then you're going to and then you're likely going to go time. and then you're going to go buy them <laughs> right right it's about time to first values your your more nimble nimble competitor is going to build that that sandbox that delivers a much shorter time to value and um they're yeah they're not going to come to you later I mean, they're going to they're going to go into that yeah I think that article you were, was that article that you referred to um, something along the lines of that the low code, no code movement is going to, is going to mark the end of the, uh, of the developer founder. Uh, oh, is it no, something along not, those lines or am no, I? It wasn't, it's no. not necessarily, but I think that's a really interesting point. Um, uh, the fact that low code, no code actually gives more power to kind of the business founder, if you will, versus the developer yeah. founder, it's still complex. Low code, no code is still, there's still some, some complexity there. We have, we have uh, a few companies in our portfolio that are low code, no code, and they, while they sell to the business leader, right? VP of customer success, VP of customer support, VP of sales, what have you. It's not the VP of sales that's actually building the app or the VP of CS. No, it's their ops person. It's their ops person plus their analyst, right? They're the ones that are actually in the product building it. So is it going to be the end of the developer founder? No, no way. Not even close. Because there's ways in which like, how can you use low code, no code to drive more integrations and pass more data? I mean, there's there's always going to be a, con- a ton of, of complexity, even though, mm-hmm. you know, it's well, basically low code, no code in my mind is like the modern day version of, of WYSIWYG. Right. Yeah. You know, the, just like, you know, because back then we were just building websites so like, oh, cool. I could just move objects. That's awesome. I mean, it's in essence, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. Just got some more middle layer uh, connectivity yeah. to it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm old so school. Doug, I remember I wanna, all these I wanna, old things. I wanna, let's, let's talk about uh, the most, the, the scarcest resource in the world, which is, which is time. And I want to talk about your time and how you spend your time and, and uh, as much as you're able to, to, to reveal, <laughs> I understand, but so you've got all these portfolio companies. I know that you all are on a tear in terms of number of investments. I think the whole industry right now is, it's is white hot. Yeah. So you must, you know, when you, in a typical week, how many companies can you really touch? How do you decide how to spend your time across the portfolio, <laughs> given that probably that, that you have um, way more people trying to get your access to you than you can possibly give? Um, so how do, yeah. you, how do you allocate so, your time in the best way possible? It's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, and as you alluded to, there's some, some elements of this I'm going to keep out just largely because it's my own secret sauce because I've been doing this for four and a half years. But anybody that is in the world of platform, platform is this function within a VC firm, which is designated to how do we continue to try and add value to our portfolio companies, whether that's from a marketing perspective, whether that's from a sales and customer success or go-to-market perspective, whether that's from a talent perspective or a finance perspective. So everybody that's kind of value add, if you will, to our portfolio companies falls under this platform bucket. And, and it's the, and it's the, it's the magic of the mystery of like, how do we balance out our priority? How do we prioritize and balance out where we spend our time? Arguably, everybody will agree to this. Number one is like, well, where do you feel like you can have the biggest impact? Where is the biggest need? And how is that combined with the, the, the amount of equity that you own in the business? If you own 2% in a company and they have a million questions, they want a weekly one-on-one with me and they want me to come in and do like, you know, white, whiteboarding workshops with them, it's not going to happen. We don't own that mm-hmm. much. You're asking for a lot, but we own 25% in the company. Right, and they're early stage Series A, and they've got 
you know, first time founders and they're, you know, they're engineers by trade, I'm going to spend a ton of time with them, largely because mm-hmm. this often happens, product founders don't know shit about go to market. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is like, wait, a VP of sales get pay, gets paid how much? Well, you know, why don't I just pull That's over one fair. of my... Why don't I? Why don't I pull over one of my buddies that I worked with at Square who can sell, you know, sell anything to anyone, and I'll just, I'll just give him the job. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, no, please, please don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so as far as you know, my time, it's really, it, it is kind of predicated on, you know, impact, need, and of course my own capacity. And one of the exercises that we go through every year, our platform team is just the capacity exercise. What is our capacity? How do we know what max capacity is? Because the reality is we get requests, not just from our portfolio companies, but also from our GPs. And also we get, we get pulled into what we call pre-investment conversations. So, you know, I, there's a, there's a couple companies right now that I'm working with that we're not ready to talk to. They're not ready to go out and raise their series A. We're not re- they're not ready to have the conversation with us collectively as a firm, but they want to get ready. And I feel like it's in our sweet spot and I know the founder. And so I'm going to spend a fair amount of time with them just thinking through like, what does it take to get ready to go raise your series A? Who's the right partner? Of course, I'm selling us. Hopefully we win because I know, <laughs> I know the founder, um, but that's not always the case. Uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm just going to help them think through, you know, key hires they need to make or make some introductions to potentially some of our portfolio companies to use their product because that's a great way to kind of get them in the door. Um, so think about that. So portfolio requests, GP requests, pre-investment requests, writing content, doing podcasts, all this stuff. And it's like, you should see my calendar. It's bananas. It's totally bananas. I'm feeling really little, lucky right now of- to have to have you on this podcast. <laughs> What else could you be doing right now? I hope, yeah, that's not going through your head. Uh, well, yeah, it's, a, it's actually an assignment that I was supposed to, something I've been working on that I was supposed to have done last Friday. And that is in the back of my head. <laughs> okay. So, so Doug, <laughs> here's another question for you. It's about category. Um, what, what interests you more? Someone who's gonna, who is going to create a new category or someone who's going to win in a juicy existing category in two or three years? Whew. Um, well, for me personally, selfishly, I like category creation um, because it's so fun because there is, there's endless opportunity. It's also really hard. It is so hard. And you have to spend way more from a marketing perspective than you ever thought possible. You have to be really sharp about putting a stake in the ground. You know, look at Chorus and Gong as an example in category creation. Yep crazy journey we have been on because Chorus is one of our portfolio companies just exited for $600 million um, just uh, two, a few weeks ago. I've been involved with them before I was even at Emergence Capital. So I've been a part of that journey from, from, the, from the very beginning. Amazing journey. It was a brand new category. Guess yeah. what? Chorus sold for $600 million. Gong's <laughs> worth $7, seven billion. It worked out for us, yeah. but it's like, oh, shoot, who won in that category creation battle? Uh, I don't know. Depends on what happens with Gong in the long run. But I like personally like category creation. However, as an investor, I actually like replacement because it's easier. It's fat, it's all about, it's all about, you know, time to market, it's all about differentiation, it's all about, you know, it's all about the hustle. It's about taking what we know what works, pouring fire yeah. on that, and just running Absolutely. like crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and there you, I think you have more clarity probably as a VC to assess whether there is a real superior technology at play. Yeah. And you yeah. can say, well, no, this Zoom. is a better, this is a better mousetrap. Zoom is a perfect yeah, example of that. Do, do you know how many people turn down Zoom at the early stage? Because they're like, well, WebEx is clearly the winner here. Why would we like, this is, what are you talking about? And we were the first investors uh, to say, we, we have a prepared mind about the space. We think WebEx is right for Cisco, is right for disruption. And we think you're the person to do it, Eric. And there you go. And it played out pretty yeah. well for us. Yeah. So Doug, uh, th this has been great. And I have one more question and, and I hope, uh, I hope you're able to, to, to give me a, a shoot straight here. Let's say I get you in an elevator and I, and I this is not some, something, let, I haven't gotten a meeting with you, but I get you in an elevator and I've got one minute. What's, and, and, I, and I'm trying to get, get your attention as a founder here. What's the one thing that I could say in that one minute that would really perk you up and say, all right, let's, let's get a meeting with this guy? Um, well, first and foremost, you need to know that we only invest in B2B enterprise SaaS. That's it. So if you come to me with a B2C idea, a crypto idea, a hardware play, I'm not even like, okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, I don't care. Um, the second thing is tell me a story. Don't come out and shoot me a whole bunch of facts. Like, oh, I've started this B2B SaaS platform. It does X and we've got all these customers, blah, 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 blah. Awesome. Tell me a story. I want to know why you're doing this. Because we hear this all you know over and over again, and in that story, you should be able. To, I've, largely, I would love to hear your origin story. Like, why did you create this company? Why did you? Why do? You, why are you doing what you do? Because the outcome of that is largely you want to build a massive, iconic, standalone software company. And there's because we, at the end of the day, we don't invent. We we're not. <laughs> We're not technologists. I mean, yes, we are. And we're not financiers, financiers. And yes, we are. But at the end of the day, we invest in people. We're in the people business and we're in the pattern recognition business. And so more than anything, I want to get to know you as a person. I don't want you to spout off all this gobbledygook that sounds amazing because at the end of the day, I'm not going to believe it. And at the end of the day, it's going to sound pretty douchey. I want to hear your story and I want to know why, why this matters now for you and why it should matter for us or anybody else that might be interested. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if the passion is there and the person is driven, they will find a way to succeed. And most likely it's yeah. not going to look anything like that first iteration. Yeah. It, it's not. It's awesome. a, And imagine this. I mean, it's like, you know, Eric's story from Zoom. I, I, you know, he was the head of product there at Zoom, right? And so it's like, he's got a great story as to why he wanted to leave WebEx and start, you know, and start a different company and, deliver a different kind of experience to their customers. That's an amazing story. Everyone has a story like that. Why did you create it? Now, if you're just a developer, an engineer looking for a problem to solve, okay, well, you sure as hell better have some damn passion in solving this problem because guess what? If that doesn't come through and you're just doing this for an exit, that's the, st the for, for us, we don't invest in people that just want an exit, a quick exit or a quick win. Good for you. Go make some good money and then go build something that's got real long-term sustainable value. That's what we care about. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, uh, Doug, I think we could go on a lot, uh, a lot longer here, but <laughs> yeah. I, I want to just give you one more opportunity here. If there's, what, was there something that I didn't ask you or is there anything else that you really would like our, our audience to know? Hope. Oh. <laughs> <That's such> a... <laughs> yeah. Well, ex extremely open-ended. Don't, don't ask those, 
don't ask those kind of questions at the end of a you know forty minute conversation because that's way too broad and way way too vague. I mean, I, I think you know it, it totally depends on what those of you out there in the audience, what your role and what your function is. If you're a marketer, start to challenge yourself and think about ways in which you can you can change your comp structure so you're more revenue focused. Talk to your teams about this. Start to drive more integration versus alignment. Uh, I think you know we could have geeked out much more so on marketing's role of generating brand awareness versus building campaigns. We got to talk a lot more about what sales roles, it, sales role really should be in terms of those initial conversations because qualification is all horseshit, bant, anum, neat, all that. It doesn't exist. It shouldn't exist. Forget about it. We need to focus more on business acumen. We could have talked for hours about that. And then, of course, let's not forget about our friends in the world of customer success and why are they so damn important and why do we keep continuing to not give them the, enough love and attention? Because you know what? They are the linchpin to your success on the go-to-market side. Excellent. That, that was a great summary of, of the whole thing. And, and um, thanks very much, Doug. I really appreciate, appreciate you spending the time. Um, I, I could imagine what your calendar looks like and, and uh, hope, hopefully you can get that Friday thing done soon. <laughs> and uh, really, look, really looking forward to, to keeping keeping in touch with you, Doug. Thanks very much. Indeed. Thanks, Paris. Appreciate it. All Thanks, right. everyone. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.